Welcome to the Join My League Football Podcast with your host, Tim Kaleka. Welcome to another edition of the Join My League Football Podcast. I am your host, Tim Kaleka, and with week five in the rearview mirror, we look ahead to week six, and it is crunch time. Folks, yes, it's true that teams who are currently underperforming they still have plenty of time to right their ship, and teams who are currently playing at a high level, they still have time to perform an old-fashioned choke job. That much is true, but for teams like the Eagles and the Vikings, it's time to put that sucker into high gear and make a run if you hope to get to the playoffs. Remember, these are two teams who most people thought were Super Bowl contenders to start the year. Now we're thinking, you know what? Maybe neither of these teams make the playoffs. The Eagles and Vikings, they played each other in a fantastic game Sunday afternoon with the Vikings prevailing 23-21. The Eagles were down 20-3 late in the game and they came just short of a comeback victory. The Vikings defense, while there is still some concern, they looked a lot better on Sunday than it had in recent weeks after getting lit up by the Bills and the Rams. But like I said, there's still some concern. This was a defense that they ranked number two in pass defense last season, but they currently rank 26th in the league. They dropped 24 spots in, what, five, six games? How does that happen? Entering this season, there wasn't a concern in the world about the Vikings' defense because all of the concern centered around the Vikings' offense and whether bringing in Kirk Cousins for $28 million was the right thing to do. Well, as I mentioned last week, Kirk Cousins has been worth every single cent that he's getting paid. He ranks second in yardage with 1,688 yards. His 11 touchdowns are tied for fourth in the league, and he's only thrown two interceptions. Without him, the Vikings are 1-3 at best. MVP of the team so far, and at this point, you have to put him at least in the category of MVP talks with the likes of Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes. Will the Vikings make the playoffs? Well, looking at their current schedule, or their remaining schedule, I'm a little concerned. I do have faith that Mike Zimmer and the defense, I have faith that they're going to figure it out. But look at their schedule. They currently sit at 2-2-1, and and yeah, they do have two very winnable games coming up as they host Arizona this week, and then they'll travel to New York to take on the Jets. But Buffalo was a winnable home game too, and we saw how that turned out. So there's no reason to assume that the Vikings are going to improve to 4-2-1. But let's assume they improve to 4-2-1 over the next two weeks. Then what? Well, then they enter the most important part of their schedule in Week 8. A rematch of the NFC Divisional Round. A rematch of the Minnesota Miracle. It's make or break time. They're going to host New Orleans. And that's a team that's been playing as good as any team in the league right now. After that... Three straight divisional games against the Lions, the Bears, and the Packers. After that, they head to New England to play the Patriots. Far from easy pickings. I know a lot can change, but at this very moment, I don't have a lot of faith that the Vikings will make the playoffs based on their remaining schedule. As for the Eagles, this hardly resembles the squad that won the Super Bowl a year ago. And with JJI out for the rest of the year with a torn ACL, their backfield is in such bad shape, apparently they've reached out to the Bills about bringing LaShawn McCoy back to the city of brotherly love. The good news for the Eagles, it doesn't seem like the rest of the NFC East 
has any interest in winning that division either. So there's definitely hope in Philadelphia. In fact, with the exception of last year, this is the NFC East division that I'm used to seeing. It's a bunch of average teams on a race to see who's going to finish 9-7 and seven and win the division. With a bunch of divisional games coming up, the Eagles still have a shot to straighten things out. I think games within your division are usually very close, but for the Eagles, their division games might be the easiest games remaining on their schedule. They've got the Giants in Week 6 before hosting the Panthers. Then they travel to Jacksonville in a game that's likely to be determined by which Blake Bortles shows up. A couple of weeks later, they're going to travel to New Orleans. And then a few weeks after that, they're going to travel to L.A. to take on the Rams. Once again, sprinkled in between are a bunch of important divisional games. I do have more faith in the Eagles than I do the Vikings at the moment, and that's because the rest of their division is trash. Another concern I have, New Orleans Saints, which is funny because just a minute ago, I said that the Saints are playing fantastic football. Drew Brees broke Peyton Manning's passing yard record on Monday with a vintage Drew Brees performance, and the team surrounding him is primed for a Super Bowl run. So what concern could I possibly have with the Saints? It's the same concern I have with Minnie and Philly. The schedule. The Saints probably have the most difficult remaining schedule of any NFL team. Uh, They handled the uh, Redskins with relative ease on Monday, and they better rest up this week during their bye because things are about to toughen up in a hurry for the Saints. It starts in week seven when they travel to Baltimore, who, as mediocre as the Ravens have looked on the road, they're a different team at home. So the Saints, they're going to have their hands full with Baltimore. Then again, as I mentioned, they play the Vikings on the road, followed by games against the Rams, Bengals, Eagles, and Falcons, in that order. And regardless of how mediocre the Eagles have looked, and regardless of how surprisingly bad the Falcons have looked this year, in particular the Falcons' defense and running game, the Saints cannot overlook the Eagles or the Falcons. Now when it's all said and done, I do expect the Saints to get into the playoffs, and I sure hope they do, because if you recall, at the beginning of the year, I predicted the Saints to win the whole thing. I predicted them to win the Super Bowl, so they better get to the playoffs. And I don't think they're going to let this difficult schedule stop them, but they're going to have their hands full along the way. Now, earlier, when I said I didn't have a whole lot of faith in the Vikings' chances to make the playoffs, that was based on their uh, remaining schedule. I didn't even mention the fact that their division rival, the 4-1 Bears, pose a real big threat. In fact, you can argue the Bears should be 5-0. Are the Bears the real deal? Well, their schedule has been pretty cake so far this year, and it's going to remain cake throughout the rest of the season, with the exceptions of games against the Rams, the Patriots, the Vikings twice, and the Packers one more time. But based on the Bears' remaining schedule, I can absolutely see them winning 10 or 11 games. But again, does that make the Bears a real deal? They're much improved. I will admit that. They're a much improved team from last year, but they're playing a last place schedule, and that doesn't tell us much. It's not their fault. Well, it kind of is their fault because they stunk last year, so they got stuck with a last uh, place schedule. But it's not their fault they play who they play. You can only play who you play on the schedule, but it still doesn't tell us much. What we do know is that the Bears are in great shape coming out of their bye, and one can only predict 
they're going to finish 5-1 and one after this Sunday's contest against the Dolphins. And the Dolphins are not nearly as good as their average 3-2 and two record would suggest. But we'll get into Week 6 predictions a little bit later. But for now, it's time for some quick hits. Starting in Jacksonville, where the running back depleted Jaguars signed former All-Pro Jamal Charles. This signing suggests that running back Leonard Fournette's going to miss more time with a hamstring injury, and bringing in old man Charles should help take some of the load off current starter TJ Yeldon. The drama continues in Pittsburgh as wideout Antonio Brown is currently being sued by a gentleman with the name of Ophir Stemberg. The suit states that Stemberg was walking with his 22-month-old grandson when a couple of vases, a large ottoman, and other large furniture items began falling from a balcony of an apartment complex. While neither Stemberg nor his grandson were hit by anything, Stemberg stated that the objects landed within a foot or two and could have caused serious injury to him and his 22-month-old grandson. And a second lawsuit has been filed by the unit's landlord charging that Brown damaged the property and has not yet paid for repairs. This comes after TMZ reported that Brown had $80,000 and a handgun stolen from him at the same apartment complex. Antonio Brown says that the suits are false and he is looking forward to all of the facts presenting themselves in the near future. The Pittsburgh Steelers have yet to make an official comment. Finally, Los Angeles Chargers owner Alex Spanos died Tuesday morning at the age of 95. Spanos purchased the Chargers in 1984 ran the club for 20 years before passing along day-to-day -day responsibilities to his children. His death comes just two months after his wife of 70 years passed away in August at the age of 92. Rest in peace, Alex Spanos. And I'm sure the Chargers will be playing for you this Sunday when they travel to Cleveland to take on the Browns. Now, the NFL is an unpredictable league. It stands for National Football League. But for longer than I've been alive, the more appropriate acronym for the NFL is not for long. Because job stability is not one of the NFL's strong suits. Players have an average career span of three and a half years. So they'll hopefully... Graduate college at what, 21, 22? So by 24, 25, they're done in the NFL. Back to the job market. And it's no more stable for coaches. There were seven first-year head coaches to start the season this year. And since 2014, there have been 22 different head coaching hires. Not for long, NFL. And it's, it's not changing this year because after five weeks, there are several coaches whose seats are starting to get a little bit warm. In fact, I'm predicting that there will be at least three coaching changes come next season. No one's going to be surprised if these changes happen during the season either. And I'm going to start in Washington with Jay Gruden. He was hired to take the Redskins to the next level in 2014. Well, 2014 didn't go as planned, and they finished 4-12. You know, the thought at the time was, you know, new coach, young coach, maybe some growing pains. It seemed to be that way because in 2015, they made the playoffs by winning the division with a 9-7 and record. Thanks to playing in the favorable NFC East, well, they made the playoffs, but they lost to the Packers. And that was the last time we seen Washington in the playoffs. The offense hasn't really been an issue in Washington. Thanks in large part to Kirk Cousins, who the franchise didn't feel was worthy enough to bring back long-term. They thought... 
Alex Smith was the better option. Well, Alex Smith is about as mediocre as it gets right now. Cousins is a top five MVP in Minnesota right now. But Alex Smith, he's got about 1,000 yards, four touchdowns, and two interceptions. A 92 quarterback rating. Now, granted, they had an early bye. Fine. But those numbers are still far from impressive. They don't have a running game still. Adrian Peterson, he looks impressive given that he's 33 years old. But he's not even putting up starting running back numbers right now. Chris Thompson, he's good catching passes out of the backfield. He's only got 23 carries on the season. And since Gruden's been there, the defense has finished no better than 20th, despite having hired three different defensive coordinators in that span. This season, the Redskins are currently 2-2. Two and two. They're on pace to another very average record. This man's seat is heating up, and I'm almost surprised with the amount of money that they paid Gruden that his seat isn't the hottest of them all. But man, Bill O'Brien in Houston is making Gruden look like an all-decade coach. Last season, injuries were a very, very valid excuse for the Texans' poor finish. This year, everyone's healthy. J.J. Watt is healthy. How often do we get to say that? And J.J. Watt's one of the greatest ever on the defensive line. He's never healthy, but he's healthy now. When you have an all-time great like J.J. Watt, along with Jadavian Clowney, uh, Whitney Merciless, Tyron Matthew, Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, who I believe is the best wide receiver in the league, how do you not make strides? How do you have a 2-3 and three record? And their two wins, they won in overtime. And they can easily, very easily be 0-5. I predicted them to win the AFC South this year based on talent alone. And unfortunately, it seems like I underestimated or I didn't realize what a bad coach Bill O'Brien is. Some of these play calls are going to get Watson killed. He just came off an ACL tear last year. They're going to get him killed. You've got to make the playoffs this year if O'Brien wants to stay in Houston. To me, this looks a lot like the Jeff Fisher to Sean McVay coaching change situation from a couple of years ago. Jeff Fisher had all the talent in the world when he was with the Rams, but he didn't realize it. And he went 7-9 and nine, like every single year. And once Sean McVay came in, he took the talent on that team to the next level. I can see the exact same thing happening here in Houston. All the talent in the world. And if O'Brien would stop trying to get cute near the goal line, stop calling plays that are going to get his star quarterback killed, then they can absolutely compete for a division title this year. A 2-3 team lucked out of being 0-5 to start the year. How are you going to be third in total offense, but 18th in points scored? Bill O'Brien's seat is getting hotter by each red zone failure. And the Texans' opponent this past Sunday, the Dallas Cowboys, I can't even see Jason Garrett finishing the year. How does this guy still have a job? And I'm not talking about the punt in overtime versus the Texans, because I have mixed feelings about that, believe it or not. I think it was one of those calls where, you know, if they punted the ball and what if, you know they pinned them back, they pinned the Texans back, and then they uh, they got a safety or Watson threw an interception near the goal line, he would have looked like a genius. But because it didn't work out, he's kind of the scapegoat right now with that bad call. I'm not saying it was a great call. I'm not a NFL head coach, but if I was, I probably would have run it with the best running back and the best offensive line in the league. That's just me 
I'm not him. You know, he can make his own decisions. He's an adult. He's a head coach. He's been in the NFL long enough. He was just trying to win the game. So I do have mixed feelings about that call in overtime on Sunday. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the overall lack of success by this Dallas Cowboys team since Garrett took over in 2010. He's got a record of 76 and 60 with three playoff appearances and only one playoff win to show for it. That's not what you expect from, quote, America's team. Again, they have the best O-line in football and one of the three best running backs in football. Yet the passing game is in shambles. They have no playmakers at all. Dak Prescott has failed to throw for 200 yards in five straight games entering week four. He looks nothing like the rookie of the year, Dak Prescott, from two seasons ago. Jason Witten retired, went to the, uh, went to the commentator's booth, and they released Des Bryant in the offseason. Those were the only two playmakers on offense, with the exception of their running back. So part of Prescott's failures, you can attribute to losing his two best weapons. The other part, you can blame on Prescott for being trash. Absolute, 100% grade A trash. Being, quote, America's team, you expect more. Trash Scott has regressed since his rookie year, and the offense is a mess. And even after defending Jason Garrett for the last couple of years, it seems Jerry Jones, it seems like his patience wearing thin. He said, we're being outplayed. It's time to take risks at that particular time. Now, whether you agree or disagree with the call that Jason Garrett made on Sunday in overtime, your seat is at a boiling point when your owner calls you out to the public. This guy is on thin ice, and Jason Garrett will not finish the season as Cowboys head coach. Mark my words. And now it's time for the JF Stacks Fantasy Football Waiver Wire Pickup of the Week, presented to you by yours truly, with an assist from the man, the myth, the legend, John Foyles, a.k.a. JF Stacks, a.k.a. Stacks, or simply Foils. This week's pick was a little more difficult to make. There wasn't a whole lot of waiver wire noise after Sunday. No new names, a lot of backups uh, being generated because of injuries, plugging them in for injured players. Guys like Alfred Blue, Wendell Smallwood, uh, Robbie Anderson. Those are all good pickups. So if you're able to get those guys and you can use the extra depth on your team, go for it. None of them are garbage. But none of those guys are going to be the savior to your lousy fantasy football year. There's one guy I do expect to make a little bit of noise in the coming weeks, and that's your JF Stacks waiver wire pickup of the week. And his name is Taylor Gabriel, wide receiver from the Chicago Bears. Owned in just 27% of ESPN Fantasy Football League, Gabriel's target share has gone up each week since week one. And he opened eyes with a seven-catch, 104-yard, two-touchdown performance against the Buccaneers in week four. He looks to be a steady part of the Bears' offense going forward, and while Gabriel is far from a must-start, I think he should be owned in the majority of PPR leagues. Remember to follow on Instagram and Facebook every week to get your JF Stacks waiver wire pickup of the week on Tuesdays when it's released. All right, moving right along. On the season as a whole, making straight-up picks has me doing okay. Overall, I'm a combined 42 34 and 2 on the year, which is a little bit over 500. I'll take it. More right than wrong. That's the way I'm looking at it right now. It's been a tough year to predict. But on this podcast, however, 
I'm 10 wins, 15 losses. So room to improve. And uh, I know I've said this before, but it starts this week, okay? The improvement starts this week. And the first place I'm visiting to get back on track is in Cincinnati, where we're going to watch the Bengals host the Steelers in a divisional game. The Bengals are two and a half point favorites, and I don't trust the spread on that at all. I think this should be a pick 'em. I've been waiting for a fallout in Cincinnati for the last couple of weeks. And with the exception of a 31 21 defeat in Carolina during week three, the Bengals have yet to fall off the map. They're 16th in total offense, and they have a hard time converting on third downs. On defense, they rank 26th. They sit atop of the AFC North at 4 1, but as you can see, the stat sheet doesn't match their impressive record. They're finding ways to win. I'll give them that because that's the only stat that matters. On the other side, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers who showed life last week when they laid a beatdown on the Atlanta Falcons. This game is going to tell us a lot about both teams. Are the Bengals the real deal? Can the Steelers get back into the playoff race? Andy Dalton has been great at home while Big Ben has struggled on the road. Then again, Pittsburgh's defense played great last week against a high-octane Falcons offense. This game can truly go either way. And talking about how the Steelers have beaten the Bengals 9 out of the last 10 times, that does no good trying to figure out the, the winner of this game. In a game like this, you're going to throw the history books out the window. It's going to be close. It's going to be hard-hitting. And there's likely to be lots of points put up on the scoreboard. But in the end, I'm going with the Steelers because I just don't trust Marvin Lewis and the Bengals to not mess things up. It's going to happen one of these weeks. Pittsburgh is already 0-1-1 in the division. They can't afford a second loss to a division rival. They're going to come out playing desperate football, and they're going to end up with a 31-27 win in Cincinnati. Now, up next is a battle between the Panthers and the Redskins, with the Panthers coming off a bye and Washington's coming off a game against the Saints, where they never stood a chance. And I don't think they're going to stand a chance here in Carolina, even if they're playing at home. Alex Smith looked awful last week. And Carolina's offense may be getting a boost with the return of Greg Olson. Olson's currently questionable, but if you listen to him talk... It sounds like he plans on returning Sunday, barring any setback over the next couple of days. The Redskins have been as inconsistent as you can imagine. Their two victories were won by a combined score of 55-23, to while their two losses have been by a total score 64-28. to The Redskins are 2-9 in their last 11 against the NFC East, while the Panthers are 10-2 and in their last 12 against the NFC South. And they've gone 4-0 and against the Washington Redskins in that stretch. The Panthers are actually a one-point underdog, and I'm on that all day long. Give me the better quarterback and the better team. The Carolina Panthers with the victory score 21-17. to Now, both the Ravens and the Tex- uh, Titans, I'm sorry, Enter Sunday's showdown in Nashville with a 3-2 record. The Ravens are listed as three-point road favorites, and I think that's just about right, given that neither team was able to score a touchdown last week, and they both lost by field goal or less. The Ravens went to Cleveland last week and laid an egg 
ending up with just nine points on three field goals. Four of 16 on third downs, and they haven't scored a touchdown in over 100 minutes of play. But the difference is, while the Ravens struggled on offense against the Browns, the Titans have struggled on offense all season. The Titans rank 31st in passing offense, and they couldn't score a touchdown on the Bills, while the Ravens boast the NFL's second-best scoring defense. Again, neither team could find the end zone in Week 5, and it wouldn't surprise me if neither team was able to find the end zone in Week 6. This is the game that I'm probably looking forward to most on Sundays because I miss defense. Since 2014, only the Carolina Panthers and Atlanta Falcons have had seasons where they've averaged over 31 points a game. This season alone, we currently have three teams averaging over 31 points up until this point. I miss defense, and I'm glad we get one of these games on Sunday. Don't think too hard on this one. Don't take home field advantage into consideration. Just look at who the better team is, and that's the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens win 13-7, to in a defensive showdown. And after I finish watching the low-scoring defensive battle in Nashville, I'm switching the channel to Sunday Night Football to watch the game of the week. The undefeated, red-hot Kansas City Chiefs are going to travel to Foxborough to take on the New England Patriots. It marks the second straight weeks the Patriots have played in prime It should be, I think it's the third straight week, actually, that the Patriots have played in primetime. Yeah, because they had the Lions, and then they had the Colts, and now they have the Chiefs. Yeah, Sunday Night Football, Thursday Night Football, and Sunday Night Football again. That's three straight primetime games for the Patriots. The last time these two teams met was the shocking win by Kansas City, NFL regular season kickoff game last year, and the Chiefs traveled to Boston, and they manhandled the Patriots from start to finish. I'm starting to think maybe I was wrong about the Chiefs. I predicted the Chiefs to suffer their first defeat last Sunday against the Jaguars. And what'd they do? What'd they do? They laid a whooping on them boys. And after that game, I received a text that said, are you a believer yet? Well, the answer is almost. A victory this Sunday over the defending AFC champions will most certainly change my mind. They enter this game as one of two undefeated teams left in the league. But here's an interesting statistic. Only the 2006 Indianapolis Colts won the Super Bowl after being the last remaining undefeated team in the regular season. It's not a good stat for the Chiefs or the Rams. Now Patrick Mahomes, he's looked human in recent weeks, and KC's defense finally showed up last week. Then again, did a good defense show up, or did a lousy Blake Bortles show up? Well, it's my call because this is my podcast, and I'm saying it was trashy Bortles that showed up. Bortles threw four interceptions. He had over 400 yards passing, but he threw four interceptions. You're not going to win very many games throwing that many picks. On the other side, you got the Patriots, who beat up the Colts. By the time kickoff rolls around for this game on Sunday, the Patriots will have had 10 full days of rest, and that's a problem. The Chiefs are going to have to overcome the aura surrounding Foxborough, and the Patriots are going to use Sony Michelle and James White to control the clock. They're going to keep Kansas City's offense off the field. And when Kansas City's offense does take the field, they're going to have to go against one of the greatest defensive masterminds in the sport in Bill Belichick, who's had 10 days to prepare for the young phenom in Patrick Mahomes. 
The three-and-a-half-point favorite New England Patriots win 31-20, covering the spread in the process on Sunday night football, which leads us to Monday night football in a real stinker. The Green Bay Packers host the San Francisco 49ers, and the fact that this game closes out week six on Monday night in primetime, that just stinks. Aaron Rodgers versus CJ and I'm not even going to try to say his last name because I'll start laughing because my sense of humor is that of a 12-year-old boy. The 49ers come into Green Bay as 9.5-point underdogs, and I'd say that's fair. The Arizona Cardinals have struggled to score all year. They walked right into San Francisco last week and put up 28 points on this Niners team. What do you think Aaron Rodgers is going to do? Even at less than 100%. What do you think Aaron Rodgers is going to do? He put up 442 yards last week against the Lions. Only lost that game because Mason Crosby turned into Daniel Carlson overnight. Green Bay is going to take this game, and they're going to take it by more than 9.5. The 49ers' running game is struggling, and it's making life difficult for poor CJ. CJ's nothing more than a backup quarterback in this league, and the lousy Packers defense they might end up looking like the Bears defense in this game. So don't be stupid. Take the Packers straight up. Take the Packers to cover. Packers win 35-13. That is a wrap on this week's episode of the Join My League football podcast. Let me know how your picks stack up against mine. I had no one try to guess the team in which I root for this week. So good job, guys. You're learning. And next week is going to be fantasy football focused. I realize you people love fantasy football. You're all junkies, so make sure you listen next week and you're going to get your fixed. Also, a new segment to debut next week entitled, What in the Hell's the Matter with You? So make sure you tune in next Friday. In the meantime, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, hit them like, follow, and share buttons. Subscribe on YouTube and all that jazz. Until next week, enjoy the games. I hope your team wins, unless, of course, they're playing my team. Kill your fantasy league and have a fantastic weekend.